You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. The time of the Israelites' exile had ended. Cyrus, the king of Persia, issued a decree allowing children of Israel to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, just as Isaiah prophesied 150 years before. After the temple had been rebuilt, the next Persian king permitted Nehemiah to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was prepared but the people's hearts were not. Seventy years in exile, the remnant that remained of the Israelite nation had become apathetic in their relationship with God. As a father does with his children, God entered into a heart-to-heart conversation with his people through his servant Malachi. Voice like butter, Pastor Jim. Voice like butter. Good morning. I don't know that there's a more relevant word for the church today than what we're about to read in the book of Malachi. It was written uh, over 2,600 years ago, but believe it or not, the historical um, background, the political atmosphere, landscape of the time isn't really that relevant. Uh, It's simply a conversation between God and his children. And I'm going to give you a heads up, God's not very happy. He's hurt. Um, But as we get into this conversation, I think it's important that we see God um, for who he is in this conversation, not as as an angry boss uh, yelling at his employees, but um, as a loving and good father or mother uh, who's been hurt by his children, disrespected, uh, undervalued, etc., it's up close and personal, this conversation between God and us this morning. And this is hard for some of us to really uh, buy into. Because although uh, believing that God even exists is step one, and it's kind of a stretch for many, it's even a bigger stretch for many others, I think, to, to believe that the God who does exist, the creator of this entirely vast and complex universe, cares about you and me. That God Almighty, that the all-knowing and all-powerful God, handcrafted you in your mother's womb and was satisfied with his work. That all throughout your life, even when you didn't know he was there, he was right there with you. That God desires more than anything in the entire world to be in relationship with you and me. So much so that he was willing to become a human, willing to to serve and to suffer, that the powers of darkness that keep us from him might be conquered through his death on a cross, and that he might restore our relationship. That's how much the God of the universe cares about you. 
And that's hard to believe, but that's the God of our Bible. That's our God, and that's the God who we're going to be having a conversation with today. So remember that as we get into it. And it's in that light that God says these words as the opening statement in this conversation. I have loved you. I have loved you. Now this is more than just God saying, I love you. It is that. God does have a a passionate desire for you. He does have uh, intimate and strong feelings for you as, as a lover, but those feelings aren't worth much if they don't manifest themselves in action. And when he says, I have loved you, what he means is, your whole life I have sought you out to the ends of the earth so that you might know me and so that I might, I might bring you back into my embrace. When he says, I have loved you, what he's saying is that everything I have ever done, ever, has been for your benefit. That's what he means when he says, I have loved you. But, he says, you question my love. You deny my love. You trample on my love. He says, in spite of my love, you undervalue me, you ignore me. You haven't appreciated me. And the proof today is in what we give to God. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 1 on the screens. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. And here's how. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. So in Israel, there were two types of of sacrifices. Well, there were many types of sacrifices, but two broad categories, if you will. The first of which was a sin offering or a guilt offering where they'd bring animals to the altar and sacrifice them as a means of uh, atoning for their sins, um, having their guilt removed, and, and to be reconciled to God. And those types of offerings always preceded or came before the next category of offerings, which don't have one particular name, but it was those offerings which were kind of like the cherry on top. Okay, now that I'm reconciled to God, this offering is purely an act of devotion and worship, of thanksgiving and praise, of bringing these gifts to God to let him know how much I desire to continue in this faithful relationship with him. And what's interesting is that no matter the type of offering it was, 
is that by law, it was required to be without blemish. That means no blind animals, no lame animals, no injured animals, etc. They had to be perfect. God says, if you're going to bring me a gift, it better be something valuable. If you're going to bring me a sacrifice, it better actually be a sacrifice, or else I'd rather you not bring it at all. Now listen to this story. Bob uh, is preaching some of the other sermons today, and, and so I'm sharing this story. Um, he says when, when he was a young pastor, someone donated a used copier to the church that was uh, fully functioning. Now I know you're wondering, just as I was, um, they had copiers back then? <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, apparently they did. And uh, so Bob, at that time, he commented to his lead pastor and mentor, Bill O'Quinn, at the time and said uh, how great it was to have this copier. And this is how Bill O'Quinn responded. He said, well, it always bothers me when people give their cast-offs, their hand-me-downs, what they no longer want or find useful to the church. Whoa. And Bob said from, from that point in his career and on, he, he viewed giving differently. And I just heard that story a couple weeks ago, and it changed my perspective as well. But isn't it telling as to how quick we are to, to give things that we just don't want anymore to God? Isn't it telling of our, of our true heart when we give? And as if we come to God, say, you know, as if we're doing some service to God when we're giving him these things, when really um, it's a tax write-off and it's a way to declutter our garage. I wonder how this principle might apply to our worship. Think about this, for instance. Uh, I was struck this week as I was thinking about the culture of animal sacrifice that used to exist and how impractical it was to sacrifice animals. Animals were very valuable back then to, to most all people. Um, and really, God couldn't do anything with them. They smelled good when, when they burned. That's about it. There's not much practical uh, use out of burning an animal on, on the altar for sacrifice. But the point was not anything practical. It was purely worship. So how might this apply today to our worship? When we come on Sunday mornings, it's not that the people in Israel weren't bringing sacrifices. They were bringing them. They just weren't bringing their best. And you know what God says? He says, I wish you would shut the temple doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, and I will not accept your offerings. This is a tough word for us to hear, but do you, do you hear what God said? I wish you would shut the temple doors. Do you think that the worship that we bring on Sunday mornings when we gather is that which God says, I am pleased? You're bringing your best, or is it that in which God wishes we would just shut the temple doors? I hope you're not hearing this word from me, but from God, because God is speaking to me here too. And that it is time, Schweitzer, for us to start giving God our best in worship. It's time that we start raising our hands. It's time that we start bending our knee. It's time that we start coming to the altar and kneeling in prayer, that we start lifting our voices and giving our hearts to God. It's time. Or else, what are we doing here? That's the word of God today about our worship.
when we do this, I wholeheartedly believe, in fact, I know, we will begin to see the favor of God in this place like we've never seen before. That great awakening like I I was talking about last week, it's coming. But we need more of this. We need more people who value God more than they value their own sense of comfort and security. God says, uh, fast forward to chapter three, verse six, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. Now it doesn't mean that God left. God's been faithful this whole time. It just means that that God's saying, uh, just like a parent to a a wayward child, I'm, I'm cutting off your resources, okay? I can no longer enable this behavior until you return to me. And when you do that, you will see my blessings again. So how shall we return? How shall we return? Specifically in chapter three, verse eight. God says, tithing. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Other translations say robbing me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only place in scripture, in the entire Bible, where God says, put me to the test. With your tithes and offerings. Now, what does tithe mean? Tenth. One-tenth. Literally, tithe means one-tenth. That means you cannot tithe 2% or 1% or 5% or 9%. Tithe means one-tenth. And what he's talking about here is not tithing your time. In fact, you know, some people say, well, you can tithe your time. Why do I need to tithe my money? You know what would happen if you tithed your time? That'd be two hours and 24 minutes a day going straight to the church. I don't know that many people are doing that unless we work for the church, right? So don't, God doesn't, God's not saying tithe your time. This is money. One-tenth, 10%. Why do we get so put off when the church talks about this? I mean, I've had, I've had a friend tell me in the past, uh, a couple years ago, when he preached a sermon on this, the moment we started talking about money, he knew what the sermon was going to be about. He had this compulsion to just get up and walk out the back doors. That's how, we have this aversion to this conversation. And isn't that a sign that money is a God? There's a reason that Jesus talked more about money in the gospel accounts than any other subject. And you expect us not to talk about it? We would be doing a disservice to the church. You see, because although, yes, God asks that we tithe so that his mission and ministry will be uh, resourced and supported, yes. But the bigger reason is that we need it. It benefits us. That's the amazing thing. You hear what he said? He said, look, if you trust me in this, if you, if you tithe, give me what I'm asking, the windows of heaven will open up and I will pour down a blessing you can't even imagine until there is no more need. 
test me. It's for your benefit, our benefit. So that's my second call to Schweitzer today. Is that this year, this month, that we begin tithing. And that you give God a chance to prove to you what he's saying will happen in the scripture. Now, I'm going to talk about my own personal experience in this, and I I really don't want this to come across as if I'm boasting. Okay, every every leadership in ministry on staff, every leader in ministry on staff at Schweitzer tithes. Okay, you just need to know that. It's something um, that we do and that we believe in, and so I tithe. And I'm not saying this to be like, oh, Jake tithes, he's super holy. I'm just, I want to give you testimony to this fact that God will bless you, okay? Fall of 2015, I quit my job for another job making much less money, only to quit that job and, and take this one six months later. Um, we had a baby on the way. I just started seminary. Um, and within a month, I was effectively making, our household was effectively making $30,000 a year less than we were prior, within a month. And our household doesn't make that much. With a baby on the way, okay? And so it was really tempting at that time not to tithe. It was very, very tempting. But we, I remember this scripture. And Kayla and I talked about it. And we said, you know what? God, show us what you can do. Almost laughingly, not expecting anything. But we'll just, we'll trust what you can do. By April of 2016, four months into the year, we recounted the money that we had received on top of our salary. That's through whether it be scholarships, whether it be uh, money from, from family or church family, unsolicited, I mentioned, right? Um, whether it be side jobs, extra opportunity for work, you, you name it. And four months into the year, $8,000. Now, I promise you that that is more than we tithed that entire year. This year... We just did this again last month as we were getting anxious about money again, and we recounted five months into 2017 how much we had received in blessings and on top of our salary. 10 to 12, depending on what you want to count, $1,000 in five months. And you're looking at me, you're probably like, A, why is he sharing this? But B, That's unbelievable. Half of you probably don't even believe the numbers. And you know what? I'm not asking you to believe the numbers. I'm asking you to put God to the test. But I am testifying to you that he will come through and you will be blessed in ways that you cannot even imagine. This type of trust in God is what our hearts need. And you can only get to that level of trust once you've personally experienced it by giving him the chance. In God's economy, that's the amazing thing, is that in God's economy, uh, when we empty ourselves to God, we always end up more full than we started. Isn't that something else? And this doesn't only apply to money. This applies to every area of life. And there's one family um, who's usually at this service. It's Alan and Mary Neal. They're not here this week. But we took a video um, of them that we're going to watch here in a second. And they have, you see the picture of their family? They have seven adopted children and two biological children. So nine total. There's 11 in the family. And they just keep on going. They just keep on adopting more and more. And it's really an incredible testimony to the fact that God comes through. And so I want you to hear their testimony these next few minutes. We have nine children, um, 
We have two biological children and seven adopted children. Six boys and three girls. And uh, a busy lifestyle. So I guess I'm wondering if at three, at four, at five, at six, did, did you ever feel maxed out? After the third, yes. <laughs> I think the first time we went to China, I think we needed to be back. And probably not the next year like we ended up doing, but yeah, I think we realized the, the, how great the need is and you know, felt like this was the way we could really make a difference. And after that, so after the fourth one came on, we were done. <laughs> after the fifth oh. one came on, we were done. <laughs> It's uh, you know, every time it just felt you know, at some point afterwards. I think probably Alan more than me that yeah we can keep doing this and you know, we've got more to offer. And I think I've been more the reluctant one. I'm I'm the planner, the organizer. But, uh, you know we <laughs> we can't. I'm maxed out. And actually, I think that's been true every time. I can't do it, but together and with God's help, we can. So where does the, the time, the energy, the emotional uh, capacity come from? <laughs> Purely the grace of God. <laughs> <laughs> but it does come. It comes. It's very rewarding though to just be able to parent that many children and have that much fun together and uh, so experience the things that we're seeing. And, you know. So you're saying it's, it's been worth it? Oh, every second has been worth it. <laughs> the struggles, the trials, and and you know, thankfully there really haven't been that many. But you know, got that many people living under one roof. You're gonna have some, some disagreements. And, and not the perfect yeah. kids, but uh, we do a good job overall. We're being educated as we go along too. So, so do you plan on having any more? That's always the big question. She always says no. I always say yes. <laughs> Yeah, and then just, we, we've learned to never say never. <laughs> we're getting old. And, uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, it always seems to have something that happens in our life or some type of sign or signal that, that it's time to do it again or that there's a special need for a special child. And, mm -hmm. uh, it always seems to have worked out for me. Or when we started dating at 16, uh, the plan was definitely not nine children in a 12-passenger van. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thankfully we were willing to to go where God was leading us, and it has been fantastic. Okay, last question. Is there anything in particular you'd like to tell your church community? Well, Eli, our youngest son, is quite a talker, and on the way to school one day, he says, Mom, sometimes we need to think with our hearts and not with our brains, because our brains are lazy. And, you know, at first I just thought it was funny, and, there's a lot of wisdom in that. We could come up with hundreds of reasons why logically something is not a good idea when our hearts know that it's the right thing to do. And so if you just stop being lazy, follow your heart, and go where God leads you, and the blessings are incredible. At the end of the day, uh, what we give to God is simply a sign of how we feel about God in our hearts. My favorite thing that she says in that whole video, well, two things. One is never say never. And I hear all too often from people, I would, I would never do that. And there's just, there's such an unwillingness to consider maybe even just to select few things in their lives. 
It was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and and said, Jesus, I wanna follow you. And he says, well, go sell sell all your possessions. And and the man walked away sad. It It was that one thing that he just wasn't willing to give up. But what would happen if um, we never said never? And we just opened our lives to God and and said, uh, God, what do you want from me? Understanding that all that we have is his anyway. And the next thing that I loved was at the very end, which came from their uh, son. Um, And he said, "Our, our minds are lazy. We need to think more with our hearts. And isn't that the truth? What we give outwardly to God is a sign of how we feel towards God in our hearts. And we might be tempted then to say, well, why is it even necessary that we give anything to God, right, if we feel right towards him and we have good feelings? But I find time and again that across the spectrum of all people that those who really love God are those who give him their best. It's just a natural outpouring of a real loving response towards God love, God's love for us. So uh, in chapter three of Malachi, there's this, it seems like in all of the Old Testament prophets, there are these points of the book where they look forward um, to the coming day of Jesus and they don't really say it, but you pick up on it. And, and he says that the messenger of, of the covenant of the Lord is coming. And he's talking about Jesus and he says that this man Jesus will come and he will purify, he will refine and purify us so that our offerings can once again be acceptable to God, so that we can once again please God. So my question for you is, have you allowed Jesus, are you allowing Jesus to purify you? Are you allowing the love of God through Jesus Christ to seep deep into your mind and your heart? Are you allowing him to transform you, your thoughts and your desires? Only through this, only through doing that, will we ever be able to please God. And only through this, this is even better, will we ever be able to enjoy God? Do you want to enjoy God? Do you want God to enjoy you? Do you want to have this relationship with him that is better than all things? Today, if you've, um, if you've not given your life to God ever, or if you ha- just haven't done it in a while, as we close out in worship, I want to invite you to come forward as a sacrifice to God, as an act of worship, and, and to stand on the, uh, to kneel at the rails and just pray to God, God, here's my life. And your next step, if you'd like, is there's a notepad right here. It has a name and contact info. And what we'd like to do, um, if you write down your information, is to contact you about getting baptized, or if you've been baptized, about reaffirming your faith, renewing your baptism. I want more of this to happen at Schweitzer. I wanna start seeing this, and I wanna see um, his incredible blessings that follow.
I'll be standing up here after the service, um, right here, and these two guys probably will be too, um, for anyone who'd like to pray. So we welcome you to come. And for all God's children in this place, he has one question. How much do you love me? Prove it.